Welcome everyone to the EOS Fireside Chat for Wednesday, April 26, 2023. We've got a great show for you guys today. More great guests lined up, just like the last couple of weeks. It's been really fun. Today we've got Brian Hazard, ENF Dev, talking about the Leap 4.0 upgrade that was just released. We're talking EOS EVM, of course. TVL has been increasing significantly this week. We got lots of projects launching. We got swaps. We got meme coins. And we have Jonas, co-founder of NotraSwap, a EOS EVM project that launched. That will be talking with us later on today. Uh, Hoken Tech also published a nice mind map that allows you to find all of the relevant links for the EOS EVM ecosystem, which I actually used today prepping for this show. And then we got our featured guest of the day, Idan Zuckerman, co-founder and co-CEO of Upland, is joining us on the fireside today. So that's very exciting. Daniel Keyes, CEO of Pomelo, is also with us today talking Season 5 analysis report. We'll be reviewing the EOS audit report as well. Alcor Exchange is deploying version 2 of the, their AMM. That's a very exciting. Even Korea has some updates. And then we're going to wrap up the show with the community open mic section and some off-topic banter if you want. But before we get into all of that, I want to point out that EOS is quickly approaching its fifth birthday. And I want to point out that in that time... The EOS network has been running without downtime since June 2018. That's 1,776 days without any network downtime. That's pretty incredible these days. Not many highly performing blockchain networks can claim five years of uninterrupted downtime. Actually, depending on how you define highly performant, I'm pretty sure EOS is the only such network that will be able to make that claim in just a few weeks. So as we approach our five-year anniversary, let me take you for a quick stroll down memory lane to remember some of the key moments in the history of the EOS community. There's been a lot of them. Quick disclaimer, the following story is my perception of the history of EOS based on my own experiences. Europe opinion about these events may be different from mine. That's fine. That's to be expected. And actually love to hear from other community members about your memorable moments in the history of EOS. The Genesis. Okay. So let's start from the start. The Genesis block happened in June of 2018. And then a short two months later, the community was first drawn together for the first EOS community conference in Seoul, Korea. A few months after that, consensus was reached within the network and the EOS user agreement was signed into effect by the leading block producers. On-chain, the community bonded by passing around a blockchain torch. Off-chain, our top blockchain scholars were meeting up all around the world for a series of great hackathons. And then suddenly, Rex joined the party. This resource exchange protocol unlocked nearly uncontrollable scalability on the network and brought about unanticipated consequences that eventually had to be dealt with. By October 2019, the community held its second EOS community, this time on the other side of the world in Rio, Brazil. This spark reignited collaboration within the community and strengthened bonds within the EOS ecosystem. Shortly after, the node operators of the EOS network would encounter a situation that would test the resiliency, the redundancy, and the capacity of the network. 
How strong is the EOS network? Would it be able to withstand the onslaught of an army of CPU miners? The epic on-chain battle for CPU lasted for months. It was a grueling battle that tested many parts of the EOS ecosystem all at once. The core devs worked on specific blockchain protocol features that could help mitigate these attacks. The EOS node operators worked tirelessly to strengthen, optimize, and reorganize the structure of their nodes to be able to withstand an outrageous number of transactions. Eventually, the network emerged victorious against the onslaught of CPU miners. Now able to process over 100 million transactions per day, the EOS network welcomed the CPU miners to have some fun in our blocks if they wanted to. Eventually, the Ponzi-nomic incentives powering the CPU miners fizzled out and the once loud CPU miners left quietly into the night. The EOS network, now the most powerful, robust, and reliable blockchain network in existence, was ready for mass adoption. But another challenge was on the horizon, and this time it would not be technical in nature. It would be emotional, it would be political, and it would lead many in the EOS community to accept an unfortunate truth. For two years, the community waited in vain for Block One to fulfill their promises of meaningly, a meaning, meaningfully investing into the EOS ecosystem. Due to being gaslighted, community initiatives were paused or sometimes never even attempted. EOS ecosystem builders were given false hopes of funding, strung along, and then ghosted. These were the dark ages of EOS. Eventually, though, enough was enough. After nearly two-year-long quiet period of misguided waiting, the EOS community was hungry for something new, and from this deep and widespread desire emerged the EOS Network Foundation. In case it wasn't yet crystal clear, the EOS is in the midst of an epic narrative reversal, and hashtag the new EOS has the potential to become the biggest comeback story of 2023. That was part one of the new intro. Tune in for part two next week to see how the story plays out with the EOS Network Foundation in the picture. My name is Stefan. I'm one of the co-founders of EOS Nation. We're currently a top-ranked block producer on EOS and other antelope chains, and I'm happy and honored to be your host for today. Thank you for joining us in the live chat. Already 64 people in here. That's awesome. Love when you join the show. Sh share your comments, thoughts, questions, reactions to the news of the week as we discuss them. And feel very free to share your questions in the text chat. Share some emojis. Share some pics. Share your questions on other platforms. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We'll try to monitor those channels as well and get your questions answered live on the show. All right, a bit of housekeeping before we get into the topics of the day. Pop tokens can still be claimed. Last couple of weeks have not yet been sent, but they will be before next week where we'll be doing the drawing for the April end of month pop token raffle. So go to PopBot chat and uh, register for your pop tokens today. All right, here we go. Leap 4.0 released today. We're going to start off the show with Brian Hazard. Uh, that's going to talk to us about uh, about this upgrade, uh, what it means, and uh, answer some questions if you guys have any.
Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Brian Hazard. I'm a product manager focused on Leap, uh, and I'm excited to uh, come on today to announce Leap version 4.0.0, which we just pushed public yesterday, promoted it to stable after a round of release candidates and getting feedback from the node operators who will ultimately uh, upgrade and deploy that code. Uh, I've been excited to be working closely with the talented core protocol team and the ES node operators to, um, you know, to, to build out what has become Leap version 4. Uh, so I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, what's in it. I think it's interesting that already right in the intro, you, you hit on what I think are you know, two core key things about the EOS reputation, which is performance and reliability. And with version four uh, of Leap, uh, we really invested in in sort of doubling down on those themes. Um, specifically, we we focused on improving overall node performance, reducing latency, and speeding up block propagation times, and also on offering more data control and visibility for node operators. And that last one um, it really is about helping node operators have the sort of monitoring information that they need so that they can keep up that long streak of re running reliably that EOS has as a network. Um, so digging in, like what are the features here? Um, on the improved overall node performance sort of theme, we've 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 released a new feature, which is read-only transactions, uh, which allow you to retrieve um, information efficiently. Uh, so this is read, you know, if you need to get on-chain data efficiently with a transaction that does not mutate state, right? Um, that's what a read-only transaction offers. And the reason it's in efficient is because we we spent some time on adding multi-threading uh, features here. So read-only transaction execution happens in a parallelized way um, and is taken off the main thread, which just means that that uh, the application can run efficiently doing sort of its its hard work on, you know, in one, uh, you know, one sort of, uh, I don't know what to call it, work stream, if you will. And, and then the, the reads uh, are happening totally separately and don't, don't affect the performance there. Uh, we made other investments in the, in the area of multi-threading. Um, we, we have a, a huge performance increase on Git block, which is an important, um, an important functionality that's, that's provided, um, for, you know, everybody from node operators themselves to, um, you know, application developers who, who work, uh, with on the EOS blockchain. So, and then, uh, on state history, we've also, uh, moved reads of state history off the main thread as well. So again, allowing, allowing, um, the majority of transactions to execute without, without getting blocked by, uh, read requests coming in for, um, for st the state history uh, API requests. 
Moving into uh, improving on latency and faster block propagation, uh, the the two key things here are we we implemented a lighter validation for block relays. Um, wh what this means is that there's there's less computation required uh, when a block is received by a node and it wants to pass it onward to other nodes, um, which just means that you know a block can more quickly get from point A to point C, right? And in conjunction with this, we have introduced uh, for block producers schedule-based auto-peering. Uh, so what this means is that depending on what position in the block producer schedule you appear in, uh, you, you can configure your node in such a way that you will automatically peer with neighboring uh, block producers, the, neighboring in the schedule. And so paired together, this just means that uh, we can ensure that the the blocks take the shortest possible path and, and we can uh, avoid having um, having node operators having to make a choice to to you know process less transactions and that sort of th stuff in, in their final block before moving on to the next block producer um so it just ends up being again fa uh, less latency faster block propagation overall higher performance and finally the theme around uh, more data control and visibility for node operators so you know greater control over log management better access to node monitoring data and again, if you're not a node operator, why should you care? Well, because those are the things that allow EOS to have such a long tra track record of reliable uptime. And by giving even more flexibility and power there to node operators, uh, we can hopefully keep that streak going. Um, specifically, the features that we've uh, added here are a snapshot scheduling API. That allows uh, users to schedule and manage snapshot requests in advance and um, dynamic log splitting, which allows node operators to um, have flexibility over how, mu how much logs are retained and where they're stored and um, you know, all kinds of fancy pants stuff like that. <laughs> and then, uh, the, we added what's called a Prometheus exporter. Um, and this just lets uh, node operators push data about the performance of their nodes into a, you know, a well-adopted sort of system for monitoring and metrics so that they can make sure that their nodes are performing uh, nominally and um, that there aren't any problems that they need to diagnose and that sort of thing. And again, these these are the sorts of features that allow node operators to to have rock solid uh, reliability. So, uh, just to summarize again at a you know high level of what is in uh, Leap version 4.0, we you know, we focused on just doubling down on what makes EOS awesome: performance and reliability, with uh, improved node performance, reduced latency, and faster block propagation and more data control and visibility for node operators. I do want to take uh, questions, but before I do, I know that uh, uh, Stephen uh, Diesel also has um, some comments about uh, upcoming releases as well. 
I don't know if you've given Steven the ability to unmute. I have the power. There it is. Yeah, so real quick from my end, um, hey everybody, I'm another product manager at the EOS Network Foundation focused on serving the developer community. Um, as soon as early next week, we anticipate a release of CDT v4.0.0 RC1. Uh, that'll follow a release candidate cycle, just as we typically observe with our and uh, what, what we're most excited about with that is the introduction of uh, a new project manager system for uh, setting up your project as a contract dev called Antler Proj. Um, I can send some links out uh, in the chat in just a second for some documentation to uh, review in advance of that. But my other big call to action for the team at the moment is that uh, we're just as we have a node operators roundtable stood up to serve the node operator community, we're doing uh, the exact same thing for uh, smart contract devs and DAP devs, where every two weeks at 9 a.m. Eastern on Thursdays, uh, we'll be speaking with the community, gathering their requirements, and most importantly, getting feedback on some of the solutions that we're designing before they're fully implemented to make sure that we're linked up as we move forward together. So um, I'll drop a couple of uh, links around the documentation, uh, specifically around Antler Proj, but there's a whole suite of things that will roll up into this broader thing that uh, we've dreamt up called like Antler. And um, if you're interested in getting involved in that developer's roundtable, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Telegram and I'll extend you an invite there. Uh, really excited to get a little bit more engaged with that community. And again, make sure that we're capturing that feedback along the way. All right. Thanks a lot, guys, for, uh, for joining us today, sharing some technical insights on Leap 4.0. I see here a question from Drew. I'm not sure if it's been addressed. Uh, the question was, how does the dev team decide which items will be part of a leap release and which items will be prioritized for the Antelope Coalition or an otherwise separate release? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, I'll be honest that I, I don't directly... Um, uh, participate in the Antelope Coalition call, so I might not be the best person to answer that mo most broadly. Um, I can certainly go into how we how we work on priorities for for leap release overall, but I, I don't know if maybe um, maybe Bart or Eve would rather comment on the Antelope Coalition portion of that question. Can you please ask the question again from the Antelope Coalition point of view? Yeah, it says, so how does the dev team decide which items will be part of a leap release and which items will be priorities for the Antelope Coalition or an otherwise separate release? Uh, I, I guess I'm not even sure I understand the question because the coalition doesn't have releases. Um, if, if, I if I kind of understand the question, that's weird to understand because I'm not sure it's, it's an appropriate question. Or I'm not sure it's, a, it's an actual question. Um, let me try to explain differently. The coalition prioritizes items based on uh, what they believe is of value to uh, the four coalition members. Whether or not that gets put in a release by uh, the ENF is, is a completely separate issue. Um, obviously, we work hand in hand. And so if the coalition assigns uh, work 
And then that work is then complete prior to a release. Uh, I would imagine that the majority of the time there, it would be done in tandem so that that work, if relevant, um, were, you know, would be applied to, I guess, the, the larger Antelope release. However, having said that, there's been no work that actually goes in a release because uh, the coalition hasn't taken on work, let's say, at the protocol uh, level yet. However, that may change with the peer-to-peer networking code uh, rewrite enhancements. Um, so we've not really been faced with that, so to speak. But ultimately, the um, uh, the, the decision, so to speak, uh, so to speak, really rests upon uh, the ENF side of things because it's the one that's that's doing all of this work. Uh, so I'm I'm not really sure if that answers the question because I'm not really sure the question is posed uh, properly, so to speak. So is it is it accurate you to say that the coalition really what they're deciding as a group is what they're willing to fund with their shared pool of funds. Some of those things get built by the ENF core developers, but so far that hasn't been the case. No. Been all... no. Yeah, so the first part is correct, um, yeah. where the coalition assigns and, and basically gives a, a budget towards specific items. Uh, the second part, uh, I guess, is not necessarily incorrect but it's also not correct whereby so far there hasn't been anything about the uh, it's been the the wallet correct. SDKs has been a big ticket item really that the coalition has been funding well instant program. finality ibc but those those things i guess instant finality is not there yet that will eventually require changes um right so that was it, did not uh sdks do not um and so it's just not really a thing right now but it wouldn't exclude uh ram limitation fixes would perhaps fall in that category, but we're not there yet. Um, is right now, all basically everything that's gone through Antelope or, or has gone in a release of Antelope really has been developed internally, has not come externally. And it wasn't funded externally either, so there's been no uh, decision to be made uh, in, in that sense, so to speak. Um, having said that, though, at the same time, we do have the node operator calls weekly. And so some of the issues and some of the functions that have been added in Leap actually has nothing to do with the coalition, has to do with internals and externals uh, within those node operator calls, sharing some issues, uh, uh, basically the, the engineers addressing those issues. So it's quite organic from there, but that's nothing to do with the coalition. I'm not sure if that really clarifies or if that just makes things more difficult. That that indeed helped clarify my question. Thank you. Um, the location where people provide issues and those issues are addressed and ultimately uh, get placed in queue uh, for for release, the, the number one area is is definitely the node operator call weekly call. So on, on that topic, I'll just add, um, if you are a node operator and want to participate in that call, reach out to Daniel Keyes. Um, uh, it would be great to have uh, more feedback. We've got a great vibrant group that shows up weekly there. If you're a smart contract or application developer, um, reach out to Stephen Diesel, who's on this call. I don't know if he can maybe give his telegram or something in the in the chat here. Um, He's doing a, a similar, um, what it would be called, semi-weekly, I guess, every other week uh, call for focused on the needs of 
smart contract developers and uh, and application developers. Um, and then more broadly, if if you're not really interested in participating in those ongoing discussions, um, you know, because it can be quite an investment of time, um, but you have um, either bug reports or ideas or anything like that, um, we have um, a repository called EOS Network Foundation Product, where you can you can submit um, proposals and and those go through a review process. Um, you know where where we we might ask we probably will ask for more information about you know what's driving the need and that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately, it goes through a review process and we prioritize it against the you know the long list of of things um, that need to be addressed or or could be improved or et cetera, right? So I hope that helps. yeah, and and I'll pile on as well and say that, of course, if uh, they're less of a broad spectrum or large scale initiative uh, contributing directly to our repos with issues submission. Uh, we do strive to process every single request that comes through. Um, that That's really a, a great place to start on that front. I think that uh, I guess maybe closing the loop as well on the uh, coalition versus ENF divide and some of the opportunities and how they emerge. I think that another philosophy that uh, might resonate with people is, you know, going to war with the army that you have. And of course, the ENF's uh, bread and butter is really working from the core protocol on up. And as we've seen with the pattern to date, uh, we've really tried to empower the skill sets of the community where uh, the ENF may not be as readily staffed when uh, we look at some of the initiatives that have run out. Uh, and been active in the community. Uh, we're really trying to activate those groups while also trying to stick to our guns and really uh, grind out on the things that we have uh, deep expertise in. And we did the math today, 62 node operator roundtable meetings that have transpired since February as we were Planning the lead up to the the leap, I guess it was the three dot. What was the consensus upgrade? Was that three dot zero or three dot one? Three dot one. Yeah. Three dot. There you go. Three dot one consensus upgrade. We started planning for those in February. Now, yeah, there's 62 calls now where we've uh, we've gathered a solid group of of folks. They're usually, we got anywhere between 15 and 20 people joining every week. Any more questions for the technical wizards that are with us right now? I know they're on a short schedule. They're probably going to be leaving soon. I know Eve can't stay long as well. So if you got questions for these fine fellers, uh, now's the time to ask it. Ask them. All right, well, let's move on then to our next topic today, EOS EVM. TVL has been skyrocketing. I'm going to share a link here. 
to the Phylama, where you can check on the total TVL. We're at $1.2 million locked up across six projects right now, the majority of which is uh, across two projects, NoahSwap and NeutralSwap. And uh, yeah, so hopefully you guys have been uh, safely exploring these new EOS EVM projects. Um, I do want to put in a disclaimer here at the top of this section that I have done no due, digi- due diligence at all on these projects. Just because I mentioned them on the far side, do not think that this is any type of endorsement from any company organization or even myself. I'm just literally going to DeFi Llama, looking at the projects that pop up there and kind of talking about the activities that we're seeing. So if you're going to, if you are going to be yield farming and getting in there for these early adopter bonuses that a lot of these swap protocols are offering right now, definitely buyer beware and don't invest more money that you can afford to lose all of that good stuff. Um, But in terms of total TVL change in 24 hours, 200, uh, 260%. Yeah. We've already, we've more than tripled up over the last 24 hours. Definitely some big moves going on. Let me share a quick screenshot here in the chat of DeFi Llama. Uh, on the hot sauce last Friday, I kind of looked at the same stats. We were at twelve or thirteen thousand dollars, and I told people, "Don't worry, this is going to rise dramatically." And I'm very happy that this week's update is going to be what a thousand times, no, a hundred times bigger at one point two million. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Um, so yeah, so we've got uh, Noah Swap uh, seems to be the biggest project right now with nine hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars of TVL. Neutral Swap in second place with two hundred thirty-five thousand, and then Froggy Finance or Frog Finance um, with almost fifty thousand of TVL. This project. Um, probably known to a lot of people here in the Fireside chat from uh, Esteban, who's been a member of the EOS community for for a while now, patiently waiting for this EOS EVM to launch. Uh, So very cool. And there's a a couple other very small projects with less than $10,000 in liquidity right now. Daniel Keyes just shared the NOAA swap Pomelo grant. So that's great to see that these Projects are really taking advantage of all the funding opportunities that are now available in the ecosystem uh, from Pomelo to eventually Yield Plus that's going to be uh, activated on the EOS EVM, or at least that was um, part of the plan in the in the blue paper for the Yield Plus program. Um, so there's funding opportunities there, and it's great to see these projects getting funded on Pomelo and then deploying on the EOS EVM. All right, what else can I share here? Um, Like I said, definitely do your own research. This is not an endorsement of anything. Um, But real quickly here, I can share some links to uh, the NOAA project for those of you who want to do your own research. We've got a website, we've got a Twitter, we've got a Telegram. There's a liquidity and trade airdrop promotion going on right now. There's going to be a snapshot on NOAA DeFi at some point between now and the 15th of May. And that's going to kind of allow current liquidity providers to earn a, to earn a, an airdrop. 
Frog Finance also tweeted out, uh, I see here, the, uh, Daniel shared the TrustSwap grant. That is what became Frog Finance, Frog Finance, I'm not sure. Um, and then they're also st stating that their farm is starting in a few, few days. So that's exciting. I know there's an airdrop also going on for the Telegram, uh, early Telegram ad adopters of this project as well. Um, all right. At this point, uh, I'd like to invite our next guest on the show, uh, Jonas, if you're available to join us, co-founder of Neutral Swap. Welcome to the fireside. Hey, Steph. <clears throat> Happy to be here, and thank you for having me. And my name is Jonas Sunander, and I am a co-founder of Neutral Swap, an audited um, community-driven AMM and launchpad on EOS EVM. Uh, yeah, so my previous experiences, I, I work for Imargo and Cardano as blockchain educator and blockchain developer at Hara Token. Currently, I am a co-founder at Nava Labs. It is a um, Web3 service provider that incubates um, NutraSwap. So yeah, uh, a little bit brief introduction on NutraSwap. It is a community-driven AMM. So what does it mean, though? So 85% of um, neutral token supply will be used for rewarding liquidity um, providers and 10% is for the team and 5% for marketing. Um, we see that EOS EVM needs lots of liquidity to grow. With more liquidity, more users and transactions will come to the network. So we will incentivize the LP using neutral tokens emission. With that, hopefully, um, EOS ecosystem will grow as a whole. Uh, we launched on 22nd of April, and it was quite a long and exciting weeks for Neutral Swap team. Uh, in the first 24 hours post-launch, we managed to get $50,000 um, daily volume on Neutral Swap DEX. 400 plus transactions and our TVL jumped from 5k to 90k in a single day. So now we are sitting on 230k dollar in TVL, I believe. Um, yeah, I'd like to thank um, NeutralSwap early supporters and EOS EVM community for making this possible. And our team did not believe it happened, actually. Um, but in, it encouraged us to build and provide more value to EOS EVM. Once again, um, thank you so much. Uh, now, um, let me talk about our exciting news. Um, the yield farming program is coming very, very soon to our platform. It will be live this Friday, 28th of April at 14 o'clock UTC time zone. So if you're a DeFi farmer looking for a juicy APR on EOS EVM, don't miss this opportunity because this will be the best time for you to accumulate neuter tokens. Um, we'll also uh, maintain the emission so the neuter tokens price won't be plummeting and making everyone's happy. Um, by staking your LP tokens in our farm, you can earn a share of trading fees plus neuter token um, emission. Um, yeah, but for now, the reward will be in neuter token. But in the future, it could be anything. It could be EOS, USDT, USDT, USDC, or even multiple rewards. 
um, at the same time. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but for now, the emission is 5 million neutro every month, distributed to six farms, each with different um, allocations. Um, you can check out our farms in our website. Um, it is slash farm. Um, and you have any question, don't hesitate to ask in our Discord and um, our Telegram channel. Um, yeah, that's it. it for me. Thank you. If you um, have any question, please. Um... All right. Thanks, Jonas. Uh, we're breaking the ice here on the fireside as uh, the first EOS EVM project to come talk to us after launching on the EOS EVM. That's great. I think you did a good job. That was a nice, nice overview of the project. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Um, always wondering, is the team behind various DeFi projects anonymous or not? So can you talk a bit about that with your project? Yeah, um, we are planning to reveal Nava Labs in near future because for the past this week, um, NutriSwap is just focused on the product. Um, but Nava Labs itself is a company behind NutriSwap. It is a web free service provider that offers full stack development service, um, smart contract development, and white hat service, actually. Um, we've worked with some brands such as Beer Bintang, OX Brotherhood, DeFi Farmers, um, Visugo. And in cybersecurity, we have secured $5 million more assets in crypto and NFT. Um, and now Navalabs, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh, now Navalabs incubates um, NetoSwap for technical and marketing development. And we will um, reveal that um, in the near future. So um, we're not anonymous. And yeah, we will here to build with you guys. So. All right, that's good to hear. Um... I think you mentioned it during your overview, but is the code currently audited that's deployed on the ELCVM? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are fully audited. Um, it, we audit by um, solid proof. Um, so like the farm, the farming um, contract, the um, LP tokens contract, and um, the router is all fully audited. So Beautiful. It, yeah. We can ensure a hundred percent, right? Uh, but yeah, we did our best to uh, secure um, exactly. our protocol. And do you have links to these audit results on your website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Benny Maro already sent the uh, share the the link in the chat. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I see. Uh, Benny Maro has been sharing a couple of links. That's great. Thank you for helping out like that. Um, all right, uh, final question I get, well, on, on my side anyways, if anyone else from the crowd has uh, questions, please uh, step in here or uh, share them in the chat. Uh, but um, I was wondering how long you've been working in the EOS ecosystem, or if you're new since the EOS EVM, kind of how did you hear about the EOS EVM and what attracted you to want to build and deploy here? Yeah, <clears throat> our team is very, very new in EOS ecosystem. Um, we just knew about it since um, after EOS um, announced that um, they will, um, you know, utilize EVM in their network. Um, but um, me, myself, uh, already in the blockchain space since um, 2017, and I've been following um, EOS, EVM, uh, EOS um, 
for quite a long time, but I, I tried myself to code in C++, but um, the most popular um, language was um, Solidity, right? So I went to that direction. Um, but when I saw uh, EOS is launching in EVM, so we really, really um, see this is uh, as opportunity that because EOS itself has a very strong community, right? Um, they support EOS from um, from the early stage, and we are here trying to, um, you know, provide more value to the to the community that, uh, to that community as well. So, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that answer. Uh, Yevin in the chat here asks if NeutraSwap is a full fork of ZyberSwap. Yeah, um, uh, ZyberSwap is um, we inspired by them, um, but we're not full fork because we um, trying to look um, for another project as well. Um, we combine like um, some other protocols and make it a NeutraSwap. Um, but yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for, for that answer. All right, anyone else uh, from the crowd have some questions uh, for Jonas before we move on? Oh, yeah, I, I got a question. Uh, Jonas, you mentioned that you also are at one point launching a launch pad. Is that something in the near future? Or is that something that just kind of put on the roadmap for down the road. Right now, I'm thinking that the swap is the first launched product, and then you have the launch pad afterwards. What's the roadmap for that part? Yeah, thank you so much, um, Dennis. Uh, yeah, we we plan to launch Launchpad this um, in the very near future. We think um, in the timeline around um, Q3 or Q2, if it's possible. Um, but we, uh, yesterday we brainstorm and we think about, okay, what if we trying to, um, make concentrated, concentrated liquidity first, because, um, it will be beneficial for stable assets like DAI, USDT and USDC. Um, we plan to apply a grant for it. Um, yeah, like hopefully ENF will support us, um, to make it happen and provide more liquidity um and cherish the entire eos ecosystem and after that um we will um <clears throat> trying to look at um launchpad but actually we we have built that um in in parallel in parallel um yeah with the decks so we have some of the um basics um basics uh, how to say it like a form like token generation stuff, a multi sender, and stuff like that that's included in the launchpad. Um, we've been working that for quite a long time. Um, so yeah, we just need to put that in um, our app and <clears throat> uh, and see the timing as well, uh, according to market condition and EOS EVM as a whole. So yeah, thanks for the answer. Thank you.
All right. Thank you uh, very much again for joining us on the fireside and uh, come back uh, with some more uh, news and updates from NutraSwap whenever you want. All righty. So moving on to our uh, final piece of EOS EVM news, just want to share this great mind map that Hoken Tech made, I think, by Alfredo de Candia, a uh, longtime EOS community member. Um, nice, nice map he made actually allowed me to find some links earlier today when I'm do I was doing some research. Let me just share a quick, quick picture here in the chat to get an idea of what um, what it looks like right now. And of course, I'm sure this is gonna keep growing, uh, but very cool here uh, to see. And very easy to find all the relevant links that you want for the EOS EVM. Oh, we got Lovejoy sharing some pictures from Consensus. Love to see it, Liam and Zach out there and a picture of the crowd. Awesome. Definitely share more if you can, Lovejoy. All right, moving on to our next story. Pomelo Season 5 Analysis Report is out. Currently, we're in the appeal period, and then Pomelo uh, grants will be able to claim in uh, sometime next week. Let's see here. Is Daniel Keyes, CEO of Pomelo, available to uh, share uh, some insights into this art article? I am indeed. Thanks for having me on the stage. Um, so yeah, as, as you said, the analysis is, report is out. If you haven't read it yet, I recommend you check it. I'll drop a link in the chat here right now. Uh, the headline, I would say, for this season's analysis is... It was the least amount of Sybil that we've seen so far in the Pomelo season, um, which is, is great to see. I think it's a sign of the work that we're doing to mitigate Sybil and deter it is working. Um, there are consequences for those who attempt to attack the system and, and fail and get caught. And they, they uh, you know, we have some fees, for example, in place of a 20% fee for every donation. And if you end up getting disqualified or those donations get collapsed, those fees don't go to the project and the project, those donations don't get matched. So some teams that per tried to treat the system by doing Fibble have actually been losing money in an attempt to gain the system. And perhaps I've kind of given up on that, on that goal and are, there's less of them doing it. Um, so that's great to see. Um, there was only one grant disqualified, and it was not over Sybil or quid pro quo. It was the first time we disqualified anyone for this, uh, and that was for conduct in the public Telegram channels. Um, there was, you know, un unfriendly, unneighborly attacks, personal attacks, and multiple warnings, which resulted in uh, the Overwatcher grant from being disqualified. Um, Blue Dog is the grant owner for that, and he'll be welcome back in season six. Um, and and um, yeah, hopefully we we don't see any more of that behavior going forward. And um, that's really it. The other big news is yeah, we're getting so you know wrapping up season five and getting ready for season six at the same time. 
Um, I'll mention though, if you are a grant owner, while analysis is, we're in the, this appeal phase right now. So anyone who you know has any disagreements with what we put in a report and wants to appeal, you can send your appeals to support at pomelo.io. Um, you have until May 1st to do that. And then starting on, on May 2nd, people will be able to start claiming their matching allocations. Uh, so look forward to, if you are a, a grant owner that has matching allocation to claim, we'll send out an email when it's ready to claim. Uh, we'll, of course, post the messages in the Telegram channel. And um, it's always a fun fun way to wrap up, wrap up the season. Go get your money. Um, season 6 should be exciting too. Big new feature coming to Season 6 is Multipool. Um, we're getting ready to announce the details. We haven't announced the dates or the matching pool yet, uh, but you can expect some announcements there soon. Um, one thing we can share uh, is that just today we posted up a proposal through the Talos work, Worker Proposal System to get a Talos pool on uh, Pomelo. Um, so we'll see if that proposal passes. That means we will have for the first time a pool from another L1 chain in the Antelope ecosystem participating in Pomelo, which will be fun. Uh, and this is thanks to IBC being a thing. This is possible now. We can have wrapped tokens from other Antelope chains living on the EOS blockchain. Uh, so that's the, the way that this multi-pool will work is that it's all operating on EOS. Um, and via IBC, we'll have a pool perhaps with Telos tokens if this proposal passes. Um, and whether or not this proposal passes, we should expect to see more than one matching pool um, on, on in this in this season. So we'll see for the first time whether it's all EOS pool or multi-chain pool. It will be a multi-pool season, so it'll be exciting to uh, to see for the first time. And uh, of course, bounties. That's another thing we're working hard on getting to market. Um, we're getting ready to go into a private beta program with bounties. Um, we're going to start inviting people to play with bounties in our test environment with fake play tokens. Um, starting to get feedback from folks as we prepare to launch in production officially. And the goal is to be in production with bounties after season six concludes. Um, so look forward to perhaps an invite if you're uh, an active member of the Pamela community. Uh, Andrew Ware, who's on the call here, um, is is working on. He's our he's our product owner on the Pomelo team. He's leading the the effort there to to uh, conduct some customer interviews and customer research on on their first version of bounties. Don't know if Andrew, you want to maybe add something there, putting you on the spot here. Uh, I guess all all I will add is that I am just as a user tremendously excited for uh, Pomelo Bounties. I don't know if I will be the, the first user, but I will definitely be among the first users. So I will be uh, uh, sharing my own perspective as well. Um, but uh, we really are trying to make this uh, a super powerful uh, tool. So um, if you're interested in testing it out, uh, we're sort of doing a staged test. So first we'll be testing it internally and with uh, sort of key stakeholders. But if you'd like to get in on it, um, I guess uh, you could contact me on Telegram. I'm uh, at Ursa Polaris. So good luck spelling that. <laughs> U-R-S-A-P-O-L-A-R-I-S. Um, so yeah, feel feel free to contact me and I'll 
um, I would gladly add you to our uh, list of beta testers. Oh, is there? I guess there's an underscore. I probably should have looked at that. All good. Yana pulling in clutch with the tag oh, in no. the chat. No underscore, actually. Just at or suppose. No underscore. Okay. There we go. Yana pulling in clutch with the edit. Primo. <laughs> but yeah, some, some I'm very much uh, looking forward to. And uh, hopefully you guys are too. All right, great. Thanks, guys, for sharing those Pomelo updates. Um, next up, also uh, closely related to Pomelo, from the EOS support team, they've published their EOS audit report. Let me find it here and link it for you guys. And unfortunately, no one from EOS support was able to join us today, but they will be joining next week. So we'll get... Um, <clears throat> further breakdown next week but for this week just wanted to quickly go over uh the audits report kind of what it includes so this includes some audits of pomelo projects uh eos audit provides a comprehensive review and analysis of pomelo and affiliated eos support projects the goal is to provide eos respect and the broader eos community with enough project information to assist users in their decision making during pomelo seasons so that's been something that's been highlighted for many people, many users in Pomelo. They want, uh, you know, more information about the grants. Are they delivering on the promises, et cetera? And that's exactly what the uh, EOS report does. This time around, they added a new section to their audit report called uh, Community Wishes. So they looked at seven grants that were specifically highlighted by the EOS community as potential uh, problems or potential cyber attackers or stuff like that, which is different from previous reports. They previously just kind of audited the top grants. Now they're also adding adding another section for those grants that the community re requests, which is very cool. And then so they've got seven grants uh, audited in that section. And then in terms of top projects with the most received funds, they audited a further 18 projects there so in total 25 projects audited very cool and we'll be hearing more um next week exactly and we've got patrick here sharing his mindweb one page report very cool uh shows you know some key points of the project uh the status the, if it's an affiliated project with eos support or not uh, current status on variety of promises, previous status, and grant issues are highlighted in a one-pager for each of these grants. Very cool, uh, very cool stuff from the EOS support community. All right, next up, if Idan is available, I'd like to welcome him to the stage uh, at this time, our featured speaker for today. I see he's in the chat. If you can unmute yourself and say hi to the community, we can, uh, you need permissions. I don't think you need, oh, oh, yeah, you need permissions. Okay. Let's fix that real quickly. There we go. 
EOS Community Server member should be good to unmute yourself now. Power user, let's get let's get some more roles going. A plan is definitely a power user of the EOS network. Get him the EOS dev tag as well. Yeah, let's try a good old reboot. See if that see if that helps. Oh, there we go. The mute button. Been there we go. Can you guys hear me? And girls. All right. Yes, we can hear you. All right. Let me give you a quick intro and proper welcome to the fireside. So Idan Zuckerman is the co-founder and co-CEO of Uplan, a metaverse that is mapped to the real world and powered by a blockchain and NFT-based economy. A plan is one of the most widely adopted blockchain-based applications in the world and is available to play across devices, including the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. An entrepreneur and 20-year veteran of the gaming, blockchain, and consumer internet industries prior to co-founding a plan, Idan was a member of founding team of Rocket Play, a leading mobile games developer that was subsequently acquired by AGS. All right, so that's the introduction. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Fireside. We've been talking a lot about Upland recently, and we've been, uh, yeah, we've been excited to hear from you guys directly. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So what are some of the most pressing topics you wanted to uh, talk to us about today? Oh, wow. Um, that's... Um... There's, there's a lot to talk about uh, Upland in general, and and you know as it pertains to to EOS, obviously, EOS has been a huge, huge, huge part of our journey. Um, you know, enabling what we've built with bringing basically, you know, the power of true ownership to mass consumer mass consumer audiences. Um, I think uh, today probably one of the things I, I I do want to talk about and promote is is our ongoing hackathon. Uh, which is um, basically um, it has uh, two parts to it, uh, and it features our uh, newly launched developer platform that basically allows anybody to connect any type of game or experience or service to the Upland ecosystem. Uh, and it's done in a way that is client agnostic, meaning that you can have a mobile app or a website or a JavaScript game or whatever. And all of the connection is done in the backend through to our um, basically identity system, economy, uh, land, uh, NFTs, uh, etc. And all you need to know is actually um, to code for APIs. So I think with the same way that we have kind of like democratized true ownership and made it accessible to mass consumer audiences, uh, via platforms such as the iOS App Store, etc. Uh, the same way we kind of like want to make um, uh, development easy. So rather than you know having um, you know true ownership and Web three concepts uh, that can power new types of experiences and games, limited only to people who know how to code to blockchain, 
we wanted to make that available uh, for any developer teams that basically know how to work with APIs. So that is uh, partially uh, why I'm here for, but I'm happy to speak about anything, Stefan. That's great. Um, let me share here, uh, just last week, the ENF published a video with, um, was it you? Yes, it was with you, Brendan and Zach. So if anyone wants to uh, go deeper into the details, there's a nice one hour video ready for you guys there. Um, okay, in terms of the hackathon, I know I think it's already ongoing. Uh, how long is it lasting? What kind yeah, of so, prizes are available and kind of if you can explain different tracks, if, if there are uh, different tracks available. Absolutely. Uh, so it's an ongoing hackathon. We launched it at, G at GDC several weeks ago. Uh, the registration deadline for the teams uh, is going to be about two weeks from now. I think it's May 12th or so. Uh, and then uh, the actual judging and pitching would be in June 9th in an event called Genesis Week, which is the yearly celebration of minting of the Genesis property in, in Upland. It's taken in person in Las Vegas uh, again every year. Um, so there are two tracks to the hackathon. The first tracks is in collaboration uh, with the FIFA Women's World Cup. And this track calls to create either games or experience that have to do with uh, FIFA NFTs that we call and uh, FIFA Legits. So these are basically um, uh, NFTs that we launched with uh, last year's Qatar World Cup and are going to be also extended uh, to um, uh, to this year's Women's World Cup, which, which will take place in uh, Sydney and New Zealand. Um, and then the second track is a bit broader track. It's uh, it's an innovation track, and this, uh, this is in conjunction with uh, the ENF. So ENF are uh, co-sponsoring this track uh, uh, with us. Uh, and this calls for basically creating new types of innovative um, in, uh, apps or services or games that are meant to drive engagement and adoption uh, for, for Web3 to mass consumer audiences. Uh, so this one is a, is a bit more liberal and kind of like broad uh, track where you can kind of like really get creative, uh, but try to figure out new types of ways to engage and onboard new, new types of players into the Web3 ecosystem. Uh, both both of these tracks carry uh, a ten thousand uh, dollar first prize, and there's also a second prize if I'm not mistaken. Uh, for each track, uh, the three top teams will be selected to basic and invited to Genesis Week to to pitch, uh, and then we'll have a live judging panel, and the winner will be declared uh, on June 9th. Uh, the winners, sorry, they're going to be one winner from each track. Very cool. Very cool. Um... What kind of what kind of games have people been building, or what kind of submissions are you hoping to see in terms of these this innovation track where you're trying to incentivize devs to kind of build games on top of the upland world? Yeah, so I, I can give you. So I, I still don't know what teams are actually working on right now. And this is one of the exciting parts, waiting to see kind of like what people come up with. I can talk a bit about the different types of games and experiences that people have been connecting to Upland in the past several months since, since the launching of our developer platform. Uh, so a, a couple of examples. The first one would be, uh, there is, uh, this was kind of like, I think our alpha partner, alpha developer that, that, that brought in the first experience to Upland. And this is called World of Football. It's kind of like for those of you who are familiar maybe with the game Rocket League. Uh, so it's kind of like that style of a three versus three or five versus five soccer game. 
So you can actually uh, go and play live soccer uh, using World of Football. But what they've done, they've basically uh, utilized Apple in order to launch a play-to-earn mode of, the, of their game by connecting their offering to our developer uh, platform. And when they did that, they basically started building soccer stadiums in Upland. And then as an Uplander, you can now go to those stadiums, carry over your identity and assets. And at this point, it's uh, basically Apex, which is our virtual currency. And you can use that Apex to play uh, kind of like in competitive mode against other people. And since, again, this is a game of skill, uh, this is a very, uh, uh, this is a way for you basically to compete and earn uh, virtual currency that then you can then translate in Upland uh, and liquidate, uh, kind of like if you want to uh, to realize the gains from that from that type of uh, that type of a game. So this is one good example of how kind of like a Web two game used Upland as a platform to inject Web three elements. In this case, a play to earn version of the game. Uh, so this is one example. Uh, another example would be something uh, that is not a game. So it's a service that uh, community members put together. And actually, it's very successful and, and kind of like has a very high volume of activity in there. This is called the Spark Exchange. Uh, Spark is a resource in Upland that people use to uh, to build things, to build buildings and structures and manufacture cars and items uh, inside the Upland economy. Uh, and Spark is a resource that you stake. So if you own it, you don't spend it to create something. You need to stake it until either, you know either construction or manufacturing is done. Uh, but there is no way currently to uh, to trade Spark in between players inside the Upland ecosystem. So uh, what, you know, a team of developers they came together with what they call the Spark Exchange, and this allows people to actually pay Apex for other players to stake their Spark in favor of their constructions or manufacturing projects. Uh, so it's become basically become an external marketplace for a resource in Upland that was done uh, that was basically developed by. Uh, external external developers. Uh, and then the third type of experience, um, uh, I would say it's more kind of like immersive 3D experiences. So we recently introduced in Upland, for those, of you, for those of you who don't know, the Upland native app, native app, I would call it kind of like, it's not a full 3D app, I would call it like 2.5D. So it's like, a, it's a map style game. And when you zoom in at a certain level, you can actually see the 3D elements in it, but it's not full 3D immersive. And we've recently introduced, um, uh, the way, uh, first of all, the ability for Uplanders to define their 3D avatars, uh, but then introduced also the first immersive experiences in full 3D. So one of them was uh, uh, car racing, but then another one that was done by a third-party developer uh, was for our partners at the Mangiera Samba School in Rio de Janeiro, where they recreated their uh, headquarters in Rio de Janeiro and now you can go there as an uplander and then you carry your identity and you become that 3D form in the immersive space in their app. But it's kind of like an experience that was connected to, to the upland, uh, to the upland system. Uh, so again, these are just like a three, uh, a few small examples. There are a lot of others. I know there's a really cool, like a uh, legal, like, um, uh, uh, kind of like, um, a strategy game that's being developed and going to be deployed uh, in June. It's kind of like it, it takes an entire city and makes it into a resource style game where you need to train like uh, farmers and, 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 you know, squads and you can wage war against other players. So there's a lot of different uh, types of experiences and games that are being developed. And th that was actually our strategy from the get go. Try to remove all limitations, right? Leave it up to the developer to decide what they want to do, how they want to do it, uh, what type of client tools and immersive tools to use, if at all, uh, and and kind of like uh, just 
not not have any constrictions on what people can come up with. Uh, so we are looking at this big part of kind of like the overall vision of of basically endorsing the very open, uh, truly owned uh, metaverse uh, that we're trying to kind of like help move the world slowly along to those to those lines. Very cool, very cool. And I learned something. It's not uh, it's not called UPX. It's UpX, which makes a lot of sense. I've been saying UPX all this time like a fool. But glad, uh, glad to know to call it up X now. Um, yeah, so this uh, the the racing game you mentioned at one point. I know Martin uh, on our team. Uh, he was in a meeting with me yesterday. Then his alarm went off, and he's like, "Hold on, guys, I gotta go buy a car in Upland." And he spent hundred dollars <laughs> on a car uh, in Upland. Um, do you do you want to talk a bit about what that event yesterday was all about? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe take a few steps back. Um, so Upland is unique in several ways um, when you compare it to, you know, metaverses in general and Web3 metaverses, uh, you know, specifically. But one thing that's very unique for Upland is that we, from, from day one, we were trying to um, basically endorse and enhance the meaning of virtual locality. Right. And one of the things that we always found odd that imagine if you live in a metaverse and you can just magically teleport from one place to the other. Right. And without any any friction. Why does it matter who my neighbors are or why does it matter if, let's say, in Upland, I live in San Francisco or in New York or whatever, in the sandbox, I have a parcel in this quadrant on some other quadrant. And that was part of the main reason why we put together in Upland the travel system. Uh, that means that if I want to go in Upland from one point to another point on the map, I actually need to spend both time and resources to get there. And it started out with just pri uh, pri public transportation. So, you know, airplanes, bu uh, trains, buses, right? So if I want the fast and expensive route, I can take a plane I, I need to go to the airport and catch a flight. Uh, and if I want to take a slower but cheaper path, I can just get a train from city to city until I reach my destination. Uh, and, and, and I think this really cultivates the, the, the meaning of virtual locality, right? So now it matters, right? Who are my neighbors? What is the neighborhood? Like in Upland, you get to decide what your home address is. So it really makes you think, or where do I want to live? Who do I want my neighbors to be? What is my favorite places to hang around? Because if I have to go to other places, it will cost me both uh, resources, but also time uh, to get there. And then the next thing is that basically this enabled now, a whole new meaning for private transportation as well. So in Upland, cars are much, much, much more than collectibles, right? First and foremost, they're going to have actual utility in the game where you can actually use them as means of transportation in between cities. And not just that, but also take passengers with you or, you know, maybe a bit in the future, also carry cargo from one city to another. So this becomes an important element of why private transportation is uh, does matter uh, in in the metaverse and specifically in Upland. Uh, but then another cool element, obviously, is car racing. And what's very cool about Upland is we've designed the system in a way where every street, every highway, right, in every city can potentially become a racetrack, and all of the racetracks are geared to be user generated. So. Literally, I think two weeks ago or so, we kind of like um, uh, uh, released the concept of what we call Speedway MetaVentures, 
This allows uplanders to actually plan their racetracks in upland. And if they have some skin in that racetrack, meaning that if they own a minimal amount of properties alongside the racetrack, they can construct a speedway, which is a starting point of a race. And very soon, they'll be able to then launch races from there. And as we kind of like uh, put some more um, uh, features into racing, such as player agency, so now we're going to allow players to actually have a bit of control over their cars as they race, this will also open up the pathway to actually have competitive racing for stakes. So you'll be able to go to the racetrack of your choice with the car of your choice and actually compete with Apex against other drivers in that racetracks that is all, again, user-generated and owned by uh, players in the game. Uh, so this is kind of like our car ecosystem. And now that kind of like leads us to the sale. So when we, again, another th- very unique thing about Upland, you know, uh, and like other systems, we kind of like, we actually hold ourselves as operators uh, to to live by the same rules as our players do. And I know it's not, again, it's not exactly the same, but it's it's very, very, very close. And that means that we can't just magically drop now, you know, 50,000 cars on, you know, on, on the face of the planet. We actually have a factory. It's, it's in Upland in Santa Clara. It's the MV Motors, which is our native brand cars uh, in Upland. And we slowly manufacture cars per the resources that we allocate for car manufacturing. Uh, so that means that we can't... So th- Whenever we complete a batch of manufacturing for cars, we then release them for sale. And this is why kind of like, you know, car sales are are a big deal about uh, right now in Upland because the demand currently is bigger than than the available supply. Again, as time passes, as more, you know, real-world manufacturers come into the game, as user-generated uh, cars are enabled in the, in the ecosystem, slowly at the end of the day, you know, the the... the supply will catch up uh, with the demand, maybe it will exceed it, but then it will be like an open market uh, competitive uh, ecosystem. Uh, for now, though, you know, car car sales are very competitive in Upland. And I think that's part of the reasons why it was probably important for your friend or colleague to to actually make it to their, you know, point in line to buy, to buy a car. Yeah, that's awesome. I know there's a, there's a whitelisting system there that you guys have implemented. So people can kind of avoid the mad scramble that we've seen sometimes with, with some of these NFT releases in other other games. Uh, Martin was able to buy his car this time. Last time, I think he put he put his name up just for one car, and then he missed his spot. He missed his chance there. This time, he put his name on all the cars or, or a bunch of them, and he was able to pick up a Royal Blue Two E. Shared a video in the chat. Looks that looks really great, actually. Um, That's awesome. And, awesome. And overall, this concept, very cool concept. Uh, you know, when you were talking about the the value of not being able to teleport around in the metaverse, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, we've built, we've uh, our team here, we've bought some land in, in uh, uh, Sandbox and a bunch of other places some have the instant teleportation you know which is which is great for 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 certain things and others don't you have to walk to your parcel which exactly does increase the value of your neighborhood makes it more skin in the game a bit more barrier to entry but uh but still very very cool uh very cool dynamics and game choices there yep uh, what else? What else going on in uh, in the 
got uh, when Toronto. We've got when San Diego. Uh, how many how many cities are are currently uh, released on a plan at at the moment? Um, I think it's something somewhere between twenty five and thirty. Again, I don't remember the the exact number. Uh, but something super 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 exciting is that actually tomorrow London is being uh, launched uh, for the first time. So you know, uh, so far you know most cities are located in the U.S. We have opened up. Uh, several cities outside, uh, which include uh, Rio de Janeiro, Porto, and Buenos Aires. Uh, but then London is, is you know, a very, very big opening for us, very exciting. We just had a stress test uh, this morning that I think went uh, pretty well. Uh, and we are pretty much ready for, for tomorrow's big opening of London. So if uh, if any Uplanders are here in the crowd uh, or any any new people want, want, wanting to join Upland, this is a great time to join and participate in one of the coolest and most competitive events, which are city releases. I know uh, previously you guys had some uh, bonuses or some some uh, properties that were only available to new players when new cities launch. Is that still something uh, that you guys do? Yeah, that is still the case. We call it uh, FSA properties. These are that shorts for first start act. Uh, the idea being is that you know we 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 have a special uh, onboarding system where you start out as a when you start as a player. You don't necessarily have to buy to pay for resources. We basically Upland gives you as a as a as a starting bonus uh, the opportunity to buy your first property. Uh, and the problem is that again, this is an open economy, right? It's not it's not something that is kind of like a, a simulated or a pseudo economy. And that means that when we kind of like launch a new inventory of affordable uh, uh, properties. The uh, the veteran players have a very very big advantage in kind of like you know t- uh, taking over those properties very quickly and having that availability uh, open and these are very important for onboarding and that's part of the reasoning why we started with the FSA. Now the thing is that uh, uh, FSA properties are kind of like predominantly limited to uh, cities that we considered as starter cities. So for example. Since London is a very, very uh, valuable and desirable uh, location, there are very, very few amount of FSA properties allocated for that release. But at the same time, we are also opening uh, a starter city next to London, which is going to be Birmingham. And this city will have, you know, the, the majority of properties allocated for onboarding new players. So it's kind of like um, uh, an, uh, a balanced ecosystem where... You know, if you want to start out, you don't have to start out big in London if you don't want to kind of like spend uh, spend money or kind of like as, as your first uh, engagement point. You can start out small. You can start out in places like Birmingham or on the West Coast in the U.S. It could be places like Fresno, although Fresno, you know, is long sold out. But there are other places like uh, I think uh, Detroit and some uh, some other cities that are considered starter cities uh, in uh in, in Upland, you can definitely get started there, build up your first journey there, make your first social connection there. And then as you progress in the game, you can basically move into the more desirable areas if that's what you want. By the way, the, nothing would stop you from, you know, living your virtual life in Upland in, in a smaller city uh, with kind of like that, uh, that, that that locale. And I think that it's it's also a, a returning motif in Upland. We, we want to make sure that Upland becomes uh, accessible and diverse in it kind of like in, in its appeal, right? We, we've seen a lot of ecosystems that get gated uh, by their entry, barrier of entry in terms of like how much it costs to get in. 
in Upland, there is in everything we do, there is a wide range of uh, diversity. Uh, so if I take a car, for example, right? Uh, if at one point Ferrari comes in and, you know, you can imagine why Ferraris would be very ex uh, ex expensive. But alternatively, if I can't afford a Ferrari, maybe I'll buy uh, an unbranded car created by a player or kind of like a, you know, an, a native brand. Uh, and that would be a much easier barrier of entry. I could still transport myself from city to city. I can still race. I would probably lose to a Ferrari. But if I raced against my peers that have the same type of car, it would still be a fun and, and a rewarding experience. The same goes for cities. Again, you can absolutely get all of the experience from Upland by living in a cheaper place. You don't have to be uh, kind of like in, in the Londons or Manhattans or San Francisco's of the world. Very cool, very cool. So, so it's a good time to join our plan if you're new uh, to the ecosystem with the release of these two new cities. Awesome. Uh, we got some co some some comments in the chat here. Uh, Martin saying that he landed uh, in London earlier today. Very exciting. He also says that he has no real world driving license, but he's excited to drive his car in Upland. Good for you, Martin. Um, also, Martin saying that flight tickets are free to London right now. So get in there, get on your flight to London and get ready for the opening party tomorrow. Um, Mosey DS is asking when UpX is going to trade on an exchange on the EOS blockchain. Great question, Mo. Yeah, it's it's a great question and a question we've been obviously getting getting a lot. And I think so. Th th there are two main reasons why UpX is not tradable on exchanges. The first one uh, is we we want again from from the very earliest days days of basically inception of this project. We wanted to create a complete ecosystem that is going to be uh, accessible uh, for mass consumer audiences, available as a mobile first app that can be downloaded from from the app stores. Uh, and again, part of the part of kind of like making uh, these apps accessible has to do with the fact that you that we wanted consumers to be able to onboard using not just crypto, but also fiat currency and payment type payment options like in-app purchases and credit cards. But not only that, we wanted them also to be able to extract value in terms of fiat currency, so in US dollars. Because again, as much as we all love crypto and, and we all kind of like see the value in, in, in how, that, uh, how cryptocurrencies can be helpful uh, in, in certain situations, the vast majority of people don't use crypto as an everyday means to transact uh, with each other. Uh, and, and that's why it was important for us to, uh, to provide fiat on-rails and fiat off-rails. And being a company based in the U.S., but also wanting to market our offering to uh, not just outside of the U.S., but also to U.S.-based uh, consumer audiences, uh, then uh, we created uh, an ecosystem which allowed players to basically take any NFT, any digital asset in Upland that is not the virtual currency is an NFT. And those can be traded by players directly for US dollars if they wish to do so. Uh, so that is a very important kind of distinction. It, it, it basically, at the click of a button, you can create a trustless transaction that, again, in the background, there is uh, NFTs and, and basically true ownership being exchanged. But it also magically kind of like translates uh, to US dollars. 
Uh, and then those US dollars, those proceeds can be withdrawn uh, via PayPal or, or some other mechanisms to your personal to your personal balance. And this whole ecosystem is completely uh, regulatory compliant in the US and perfectly legal and safe. Uh, and in order to achieve that ecosystem, part of the requirement was that Apex cannot be considered a real world currency, right? It can be only considered a utility virtual currency that is meant for uh, to be traded internally in the Appland ecosystem. So while Apex can be moved from player to player within the Appland, the Appland ecosystem, it cannot be traded outside uh, of Appland because then it would be considered uh, kind of like a real currency. And this will kind of like undo all of the ecosystem that we built together. So this is the main reason why Apex is not tradable. Now, the, the secondary reason, what we found out, and, and I think, again, some people will see it as kind of like a, uh, a minus, but we today, especially in, the, in, in, in today's ecosystem in the world, we see it as a benefit is that this kind of like creates some protection from speculative elements. Just because you, you can't technically speculate on Apex because it's not tradable in exchanges, it means that anybody who uses Apex, they have some interest in the Upland game. Right, and by removing speculatory forces from the uh, the apex economy, that becomes a bit more protective of the economy from external influences. Right, so when we saw again, we all experienced kind of like the downturn and kind of like what people call the crypto winter and NFT winter, and we can say the upland economy hasn't been as affected as projects that were exposed uh, to kind of like uh, speculative forces. Uh, so in some cases, you know, projects may have dropped like 90, 95%. And, uh, ho hopefully we're in a recovery stage and things are, are kind of like turning around. But again, it was important for us also to kind of like create a differentiation between, um, you know, the rest of the kind of like the macroeconomic forces and the up, the upland economy. Just because, again, the upland economy is basically this is the main thing that drives us, right? We are we, we're trying to build uh, a sustainable economy that is built bottom up. Uh, and part of that, uh, those efforts, is about protecting this economy, this economy, and allowing it uh, to grow. So the short answer is, while we hope someday we have a pathway to get to a point where Apex can be traded, we don't see it happening uh, in the short term. All right, thank you for that uh, detailed answer. It makes a lot of sense. All right, we got uh, Daniel Keyes found the international terminal. He's going to be in London in less than 56 minutes. That's great. Yana's getting there in 14 minutes. Um, good times, good times in the Upland metaverse. All right, do we have any other questions uh, from the crowd here for Idan before, um, before we move on to our next topics? Hey guys, can you hear me better now than before? Yes, yes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, one thing that that uh, I uh, I would like to hear a little bit more for because it it still haven't fully understand it yet. How is the Spark token best used in Upland? Because there's not just the Upax. There's also the Spark token, and I have a little bit, but I know that I can stake it for building others. But I hear things that I can also lease it to other people that build it. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. So basically, Spark uh, is uh, used to create any uh, inanimate object that is that appears on the Upland map. So at this point, these are these would be uh, buildings, 
uh, so structures, anything that you build, like you whatever, it's a stadium or it's a building or it's a factory uh, or, or it's a showroom. These are all the type, or it's a speedway. These are all types of different buildings that you can build in uplands today. Uh, very soon, hopefully, also cafes and other places. Uh, and then uh, any uh, what we call map assets. So these are kind of like decor items or things that are you can actually manufacture, sell, but then also buy and kind of like use your use kind of like to uh, place on your properties in Upland. So there, there are different types of these. Like there, there are statues. There are like um, today they most predominantly have like a, a decorative element uh, to them. Um, and then uh, another class of assets is what we call structure ornaments. These are uh, uh, items that you use to decorate your uh, your uh, structures uh, for uh, special occasions. So we have, uh, I think, six or seven different seasons in Upland, uh, and every uh, and I think today uh, today is uh, blossom season. So you can basically buy structure ornaments and decorate your house uh, for for this uh, specific season. And then lastly, uh, cars and very soon carts. So you can again you you can take your spark and you can manufacture you can manufacture uh, manufacture sorry you can build a manufacturing plant with it apply for a meta venture and then start actually building NFTs and selling them uh, within Upland to to consumers. Uh, so when you manufacture these items, you need to use Spark to manufacture them. You have to stake your Spark to manufacture. Uh, lastly, uh, if you if you own Spark and you just you you don't know what to do with it or you don't want to build structures, you don't want to manufacture anything. Uh, you can absolutely utilize uh, third-party tools like the Spark Exchange and actually put your kind of like put your Spark up for, to stake for somebody else's project and potentially be rewarded with Apex for that. So if you have Spark that's not working for you, and that's that's a shame because every Spark should be put to some task, otherwise it's a waste. Uh, then there may be other users who who may find your Spark useful and are willing to pay for it in Apex. Nice. Thanks for the answer. Uh, another one uh, would be about neighborhoods. So in the game UI, I don't know how to organize uh, in the neighborhood. So to organize, basically make all the ornaments better. You have some neighborhood competitions going in game. Would the best place to be to organize or be part of a neighborhood in the Upland Discord? Or is there anywhere in the UI of the game of the application where I can find people that are in my neighborhood? Yeah, so actually... Um... So a couple of things. First of all, a small tip, like in, in the Upland app, uh, kind of like on the on the bottom right side, there's a small button you can click and you can and when you click it, you see the neighborhood boundaries. And you can actually click on each neighborhood name and it will focus you on that neighborhood, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, but then which neighborhoods to partner with? It's like, th that's, that's a great question. That's where you probably want to engage with the community. Uh, so we have, uh, again, we, we also have a leaderboard that shows you the top uh, neighborhoods in terms of like the like the kind of like the elements that compile into deciding what is a top-rated neighborhood is the amount of effort that was invested in in terms of like uh, the spark hours that were spent, uh, but also how many uplanders call that neighborhood their home. Because again, keep in mind if you are an uplander and you've been KYC'd, you can you you get to choose only one home address, and this is your home neighborhood address, right? So the neighborhoods with the most amount of players that called it their home. Are considered kind of like the more uh, top-rated neighborhoods. But uh, again, we have top neighborhoods across all of the open cities in Upland. My suggestion is to go into Upland, engage with the community, and also now within the app, we have a new chat. Uh, it's not so new by now, but it's a, there's a chat feature in Upland where you can actually uh, connect directly with players in a Discord-like setting, but inside the app. Uh, and pretty pretty soon. 
uh, we're going to also allow you to interact with the rest of your neighborhood together, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so a lot of options. Again, my, my main uh, suggestion is to uh, hit the community hub, uh, see kind of like who you find as kind of like your, uh, you know, the most uh, uh, communities, internal communities in Upland that share your areas of interest or your values. What are you, are you trying to build the most amazing neighborhood together? Are you trying to find business partners? You know, are you trying to, uh, are you a creator? There are some neighborhoods that kind of specialize in, in, uh, in kind of like the, the creator economies. So lots of different angles to approach this. And the best way is kind of like to start engaging with our community and then make your decision. Once you decide, you can still move. Uh, the only thing is when you move neighborhoods, you get a penalty. You can't vote in the new neighborhood that you move to. Uh, you have like a cooldown period of 30 days. So even if you decided what's your home neighborhood and you don't like it, you can still change it. Well, awesome. Thanks for this uh, great answer. Um, yeah, and uh, you're speaking about the community. Uh, I'm really amazed by how much user-generated content comes out of the Upland community. So many like YouTube channels and like news bulletins and also tools. Uh, really kudos to the whole Upland community. Great stuff there. Yep. So, hey, everyone, this is a Jesse with the bees. Um, I just want to say that um, I'm a big fan of Upland. And and there's my my audio. Thank you, Seth. Um, so back uh, back when I was a Deegan, I, I got a property in Upland, Pier 9 in Manhattan. I don't know about um, people not speculating because I was speculating a little bit that there was going to be some um, new cities in Europe. So I got Pier 9. Maybe there's going to be like, you know, like a ferry or something to Europe. I don't know. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I love the concept. I think it's really cool. Like metaverse real world addresses. Um, it's kind of very simple and makes a lot of sense. I think it's a great idea. Execution on the team's amazing. And uh, so hopefully uh, if anyone wants um, that property, hit me up. Pier 9, Manhattan. Nice sales pitch, Jesse. Well done. Uh, I have a question about Upland. Um, so I've been very impressed with the free play model. Um, I think that's a, a really good way to uh, uh, to onboard users. And I'm, I, I guess what I'm curious about is, uh, uh, do you have any sort of design documents or some or uh, other sort of reference material that other uh, developers could use to kind of use the same basic architecture in their applications? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, we don't have any public facing documents about that. I can talk about that in, in high level if that's of interest. So essentially, what what we do is when, when you start, we, we kind of like in the background hold a pool of EOS accounts for which we own the private keys, right? We control the private keys. We don't give them away. So it could be at, the, at any given point, it could be a pool of whatever, a thousand EOS accounts. And those are used to associate with new players that start out playing the game. And in Upland, they are seen as visitors to the game. So they, there, are, there are a couple of restrictions there. They can't freely trade in the open market. They can't move their Apex around. 
Um, and they actually, they don't know it, but they, they don't necessarily know it, but they don't enjoy it through ownership. That means that we as the operator can kind of like take away their assets. Now, why is it important? Because in any gaming ep- ecosystem, by the second day after players install the game, you know, you probably, in uh, the most brilliant games, they probably would lose more than 50% of their install uh, uh, user base by the second day of, of, of playing, right? And in an open economy type of environment, it's very, very dangerous because you, you're going to start creating holes in your economy, right? If you lose these assets to true ownership. So we we, we kind of like needed a way for us to recover those assets in favor of the economy in case those users don't become uh, engaged users. Uh, so what happens is uh, when the these players cross a, th- a certain threshold, and in Upland, it's having accumulated a net worth of 10,000 Apex or more, uh, which is roughly equivalent to $10 uh, in, in fiat uh, means. And when that cr- uh, threshold is crossed, and again, it can be crossed by just engaging and winning Apex and churning through it, or it can be crossed by actually buying Apex and, and having a net worth higher than uh, uh, 10,000 Apex, which includes kind of like your properties worth together with your Apex balance. At that point, what happens is we then, uh, on a high level, the player's client, so if, it, if it's their mobile device, then it's a mobile device. If it's their browser, it's the browser. They would create a new user on EOS directly with the mainnet. So that action doesn't pass through our backend, meaning that we are not exposed to the private keys. Uh, and then all of the assets that were under our control as their visitor accounts get moved to the ownership of that new truly owned account. At that point, they become true owners of all the digital assets. Uh, and then we, at the background, we recycle that EOS account to be used for the next visitor in line who's going to join the game. So this is roughly how it works. Um, and and again, I think that concept could be absolutely reused in, in, in a lot of other games. And I think it's a good it's a good way to kind of like give a taste for uh, visiting players and to try out the app and kind of like get a sense of what could happen in the game. Uh, without sacrificing too much of your uh, economic value. Nice. Great info. Thanks. Um, I have one other very quick question. Um, Do you have a favorite 90s band? (laughs) Yeah, Soundgarden by far. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Bad Motorfinger. Amazing album. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Anyone else with some questions? This is Shoe, Haidan, Love Also, Genesis. All right. Thanks, Patrick. So sorry, I, I missed that. Was that even a question? Haidan, Haidan, I'm sure you love also Genesis of the 19s. It is not a question. I think okay. it's a statement <laughs> about music again. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, I consider myself a musical degenerate. I, I'm stuck in the '90s still. So there you go. Saratogali said he had a question in chat, but uh, oh, there we go. He has a question. Uh, he was playing a plan with another ES account. It was associated with me email. How, how can I? Recover access to upline within your EOS account. 
Um, not too sure I understand the question. Sounds a bit technical. Um, what's the best place to join to, to get answers for these technical questions? Um, I imagine you guys have a very active Discord server. Oh, I, I, absolutely. So, you know, the, uh, we have like um, our, our own community staff and moderators and just like positive community members who are just waiting to, to, help, to help out. And you can actually reach out either in-game or using Discord, like either way works. Uh, actually, in, in also in the click on in, inside the game today, we're slowly moving more and more channels from Discord into the game. Uh, so one of the channels is like a new um, a new player help that you can ask any question, and and players will be happy to help and, and and chime in. There you go. You should be able to find your answer there. All right, we're gonna wrap it up uh, for Upland today, but this was great. Uh, thanks a lot, Aidan, for joining us today uh hope you come back with uh with more uh, news and updates uh, i'm going to share the link one more time to the hackathon for anyone who's interested in joining or learning more you can do that at upland.me from slash hackathon dash 2023 awesome thank you all all right thank you and uh yeah join us again soon go upland All right, Alcor AMM update. So back to DeFi from GameFi we go. Um, Alcor Exchange has a new swap AMM version 2 that they're releasing. Let me just shared uh, an article here in the chat. Let me find uh, some highlights here. So, so a couple highlights for you guys. Alcor was launched in February 2020. Total trading volume has now exceeded $6 billion. 43 million exchanges have been processed on swap and 42 million limit orders have been executed. Nice stats from Alcor Exchange. So now they're introducing Alcor Swap AMM version 2. They've completely redesigned the swap UI page. And then here are some of the new aspects uh, of the version 2 swap protocol that they're releasing up to 4,000 times increased liquidity efficiency, the ability to significantly increase revenue from fees or reduce risk of losses for providers, convenient management of fees earned on position, various fee, fee tiers allows to choose a best pool for your risk profit, risk slash profit ratio strategy, a new approach to providing liquidity and exchanging stable coins and range orders as a useful tool similar to limit orders. So lots of cool features here be being brought to the Alcor swap. Um, they are, they are a multi-chain swap. They operate on a lot of antelope chains, including Proton, Telos, EOS, and WAX. And they're going to be um, launching this new swap gradually across those chains in that order. So I've also reached out to the team and invited them uh, to join us on the fireside, potentially in, uh, in an upcoming week, so that they can talk to us more about these updates and uh, the great work they've been doing. Do we have here on the agenda, Chief Delegates Interview, Eden on EOS, Term 6 by Nova Crypto. 
I was supposed to bring this up on the hot sauce last week, but I forgot. I'm very sorry, Patrick, but I'm bringing it up here now. Um, I'm going to share the tweet uh, announcing these interviews, and then I'm going to share the link to the uh, video, YouTube video. I don't know, Patrick, uh, if you want to jump on here and share a bit about these latest chief delegate interviews. Yes, sure, Stefan. Hi, Amir. Hi, Amir. How are you, Stefan? Official welcome to the fireside. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I was joining in time today to be sure to, to hear all those new uh, beautiful news about EOCVM and all. So shout out and Upland. Shout out also, everyone. So, yeah, about the... Here for the chat, party, and uh, yeah, tell us. Tell us a bit about the content you've been working on lately. Yeah, uh, I was committed to do uh, on April 20, uh, chief delegate interview of uh, Lenny and Mo. Uh, we covered a nice topic about this uh, term six that they want to to do uh, for every for uh, for uh, each of them. Uh, they were committed. Uh, let's say they have shared their um, their willing that they want to do on this uh, term. So that was uh, my contribution after the hidden election. Uh, as always, I do the chief delegate interview. And also I am covering also uh, every Thursday at um, 18 UTC, 1800 UTC, we have the open delegate call uh, um, meetings that's in Zoom. Uh, that's recorded, and then uh, we push that onto the uh, YouTube of uh, Waxa. Uh, shout out to Waxa. So we put there the, 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 the videos, and Lenny is doing the recaps. And uh, yeah, uh, nice experience for the moment, and uh, happy to continue to, to do what I can to support uh, Eden Onios. And maybe if Lenny is into the, the the chat or more, you are welcome to to jump uh, here. Simo typing one second. Excellent. Sir. Nice music. While we wait, I guess I can give a just a quick update on uh Korean Eden. They've um They've done work on their smart contract and they're now starting to prepare for their brand launch. You can go take a look at the smart contract at this EOS address. Excellent.
Hello. Can you guys hear me? Hello. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, sorry. Just also putting my son to sleep at the same time. So I'm kind of doing both things. Um, but took a little time out real quick to address the community. Um, and uh, I think Patrick uh, pretty much covered uh, everything. Uh, the only thing that I would want to add is that we also have a RFP um, that um, the whole community is welcome to take a look at and apply for. Uh, hopefully, we'll be selecting the candidates um, within the coming days. Uh, it's on Mel Pierce's um, EOS, uh, the job board dot or no job dash board dot io. Um, so everyone's welcome to take a look at that, and uh, I'll set I'll put the link up too. Um, just to make it easier for everyone. And uh, yeah, um, apart from that, we're making great progress. Uh, you guys are welcome to um, take a look at the videos coming from the meetings on Thursdays and um, chime in, contribute, and let us know what the community would like us to do or in what directions you think we should head. Any um, input from the community is welcome. So um, yeah, and if there are any questions right now, sure, I'll be happy to take them. I just want to say shout out more for uh, the great job that you are doing uh, into this hidden terms text. We are just uh, into the, let's say, into the beginning, uh, and that goes very uh, fast, but uh, so far so good. And Mel Pierce from EOS London, I, I see he's uh, waiting now. Uh, good uh, initiative with the job board.io. Uh, you find that into the um, YouTube video uh, that is all timestamped. Uh, that there is the link there into the video description to job board, also to what Mo is working on. It's the reputation system uh, and the civil protection with um, Jesse Jaffe. Uh, that's very well made. We need SBT not only for um, hidden onios. We need SBT also for other platforms where we want to be sure that we have uh, verified users and uh, people that are let's say trust with trust like in pomelo there is a civil check there so we want to be sure to have the best uh, user into the platforms and certainly not bot so for that uh, respect for uh, all the work that you are doing more into um Idenonios and also in general and shout out to lenny lenny i don't know if he's here but i was singing before and shout out to everyone that is into Eden Onios and continuing to do the the things. That's all what it is about. Uh, thank you very much. Are there any questions? Anybody listening that might be interested in uh, what we're doing or any uh, suggestions for a direction that they'd like to see us go? Hey Mo, uh, it's me, Martin. Hey Martin, Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, ha I have one question. Uh, question: uh, Are you still actively working with the HiFidel team in order to make a transition or use use the tools? Is it still kind of on the roadmap on Eden to merge these uh, like tool sets? Is there any communication with the HiFidel team? At the moment, there actually is. Um, we're in direct contact, and um, as of right now, that's still the plan. 
So um, we're trying to make that as uh, seamless as possible and seeing how we can best uh, integrate their tools and all of the great work that the ENF has done in funding Haifa and putting that to use. Great, love it. Thanks for oh, there is, Mo, there is a question into the chat. What is the project about reputation management as a software, as a service? So it's about the reputation system. Maybe you can just uh, answer to, Lu to Louis. Uh, I, I see this question. Um, generally speaking, it would be uh, forming a, a point values and a, a reputation system for people to be able to carry their reputations throughout um, the uh, Web3. So you could basically um, be active in communities, earn NTTs that would uh, accumulate within uh, your uh, a given UI that would um, basically uh, be used as a dashboard where people could see what kind of a person um, they're dealing with. Um, your, your level of reliability, um, your level of transparency, uh, responsibility, and how you've interacted in given communities. Yeah, and to complement to that, I just want to say that, for example, Eden Fractal, um, and maybe Dogman is here, uh, Dancing Joy, but uh, we will have soon into the Eden Fractal community, we will use some uh, SBT, so soul-bound token, that's entity, non-transferable token, and that's non-transferable and not burnable. That's just a proof that you are, uh, it's about behavior, it's about your reputation, about, about your brand, about your social sentiment. So that's very needed into the, into the platforms going on. And that's not just a thing about uh, hidden on EOS, that's uh, more than that. So that's very needed uh, as we go forward. So. Exactly. Yeah, to add to that, um, I would also say that uh, as one builds their reputation, it's a way to build a an identity on on the layer on the blockchain, and in Web three. So you kind of all begin to establish a, a way of um, of having a civil protection. Absolutely. I just want to say we are building. Uh, I am not too much. Um... Uh, announced for the moment. I am doing some tweets. Maybe you have seen about uh, EOS Digital Extended Network that I am building with uh, Vlad of CTF and Lenar and CIC and others. We are checking the atomic assets table to see if a user that will onboard on EOS DIN is a verified, is a trustworthy user. We can say if he has an SBT on hidden on EOS or if he's a great contributor on Pomelo. We want to onboard user verified into EOSDIN. Um, I have put uh, above into this chat uh, a link about the tweet about EOSDIN. Uh, I can put again, but um, yeah, it's all about uh, accountability and trust, tr people trust, and we have the mechanism um, and shout out for the reputation system. All right, at this point, we're going to open up the mic to uh, the community. Anyone has some extra questions, some product updates, anything you want to share with the community? Now's the time to do it. Uh, Off-topic banters, welcome as well. Last week, we were talking about uh, Gensler getting grilled in Congress. 
this week the SEC is getting sued uh, by Coinbase. Good times in the crypto space. Uh, Louis just asking uh, Eosdin. So I just put it here the, the last tweet on Eosdin. You can go there and understand what we are doing. There is the last version of the white paper that we have finalized this week, the white paper 2.0 with the tokenomics in it. That was a, a, a big work since February 21st. So now we are ready. And uh, on May 23rd, that will be um, announced into the Antilopsis workshop number uh, 20, where there will be uh, Donny Carrière about uh, Yield Plus. Uh, there will be also Jesse Jaffe about uh, EOSB's update. Hidden Fractal update number six, very aligned. And we will have Myra Wong for Hong Kong situation and uh, and so on. So that's a nice workshop coming. And like if like because it is uh, every two months, we will uh, do an EOS digital extended network, EOS DIN uh, update every two months. So more info on May 23rd. I hey it's DJ Strikenova and I posted in the the chat my uh the NFT indexer I have a small demo out where you can search um, all the generated captions for about about seventeen thousand unique IPFS images and so yeah like as Drew was saying uh the what I use uh, to generate the captions is a, is a clip interrogator which is Originally, uh, its intention is to basically generate prompts from images for uh, stable diffusion, which is image generation. So from image to prompt. And so it's very, if you look at uh, the demo, you can, and any of the collections, you can see that it, it usually starts off the first phrase is like on 100% accurate. But then after that, it's a bunch of like tags that may be accurate or maybe completely out there, you know, and wild. And so uh, it's a pretty uh, amusing. Uh, I think uh, for season six, I think the next step for me would be to uh, look at different models, see what else they generate, and uh, maybe have workers kind of rate their accuracy so we can find out which ones are best and stuff like that. I have a question for you, DJ Strikanova. Um, what uh, it is, uh, Named? Uh, Pharma psychotic uh, clip interrogator. Oh, what's your question? Oh, that's just like a repo. Um, that uh, so I use a uh, hugging face uh, as a like a library, and then clip interrogator also uses it. And so basically, with like a few lines of code, I can use it to use my uh, graphics card to process an image and generate a caption. And uh, that's what all those uh, in that demo. That's what all those captions are me basically going one by one for each unique image and generating a caption using uh, the clip interrogator uh, in that repo. It's a little bit like a mid-journey where you can generate, uh, like a you do a prompt and that's generate an image. It's a little bit like this. Yeah, basically it's the reverse. Yeah, it takes an image and generates a prompt. So like okay. in theory, you can take that caption and put it in mid-journey mid and see what happens, you know? <laughs> 
Oh, excellent. Excellent. Because on Antilopsis Workshop number 20, we will do uh, a precedent. We will do uh, the transcript of the YouTube video. We will send to ChatGPT. And from ChatGPT, we will send to MidJourney to generate a prompt and to have a nice image. So maybe I will use also this pharma psychotic uh, clip interrogator. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, it can be a little bit tricky setting it up, but uh, uh, you just got to make sure you install the right like uh, NVIDIA mm -hmm. drivers and stuff. Okay. I will contact you. All right, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Another two hour plus fireside. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Big thank you to all of our great guests for today. And uh, yeah, hope you guys have a good day, a good week, and we'll be back doing it again next Wednesday. So until that time, let's go. Oh, oh, yeah. Yes, go yeah, baby. I got some people having fun with the with the 